I'm going to show you how great I am. This was our final tower. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. Hello and welcome to How to Take Over the World. This is Ben Wilson. Welcome to the End Notes episode on the Wright Brothers. Today we're going to be covering a lot, including their sister Catherine, how they became fashion icons. I'm going to go through just a bunch more thoughts that I had about this series. And I'm going to be going through more takeaways and just more quotes that I found that I really liked uh, when I was doing reading for this series. Uh, Before we get into all of that, I just want to say, this is of course a subscriber-only episode. Um, you can listen to the first 10 minutes for free. And then after that, if you'd like to listen, you got to subscribe. You can do that by clicking the link in the show notes, or you can go to takeoverpod. That's takeoverpod, P-O-D, short for podcast, dot supercast. That's the word super like Superman. And then cast, uh, like the end of podcast. So takeoverpod.supercast.com. And there you'll have the opportunity to sign up. So if you want to do it on your computer, it's a little easier that way. And then you actually, you don't need to download an app or anything. You can get that feed right in whatever podcast app you already listen to the show on. So if you want to listen to the whole episode, go ahead and do that. Either click the link in the show notes or go to takeoverpod.supercast.com. All right, let's get into it. First off, I want to spend some time talking about their sister, Catherine. So Catherine was a very important member of the family and was really integral, actually, to her brother's success. That's because when she is 14 and when Wilbur and Orville are still pretty young, their mother dies, and she kind of takes the role on as mother of the family. Not so much in domestic duties, although there was some of that, but they did actually have enough money to hire a servant. So she didn't really have to do so much of like the cooking and cleaning. She did some, but she kind of became the emotional fulcrum of the family. She was sort of the most socially well-adjusted of those three children. You know, Wilbur and Orville were extremely shy and she could actually talk to people a little bit. So um, she became an important social connector for them and an emotional support slash caretaker. I mean, you see that when Orville injures himself. She's the one who's by his bed day and night, making sure that he's okay and, and being with him. She was an impressive woman in her own right. She graduated from Oberlin College and became a teacher. There's a funny story where Orville is writing back home to her. And instead of saying, send us a list of your students, says, send us a list of your victims. And that's because she could be a firecracker. She was very feisty. You know, she had these epic fights with Charlie Taylor uh, at the bike shop. And part of that is she was very protective of her brothers. And so she was very suspicious of someone who was taking on so much responsibility for himself, even though Charlie ended up doing a great job. She always had this like, yeah, just like she wanted to be involved. She always had this sort of suspicion towards him. So she was a teacher. She was a suffragette. She worked very hard on a lot of different social causes. And then when Orville actually goes out and joins Wilbur in France, she goes with them. So the three of them are living and hanging out together in France. And she's actually the only one of the siblings who learned French. And she really charms the French people. And that's because she was the best talker, the most social of the three. And so she often acted as the spokesperson and was the go-between between the press and Wilbur and Orville. And so she becomes, yeah, like a minor celebrity in her own right. After they came home, she served briefly on the board of the Wright Company before it was sold. And she also during that time played an important role in the management of the company. After they sold the company, Orville became very dependent on her. She was his constant companion. You know, neither of them were married at this point and Wilbur never married. 
And so she becomes like his life companion. She um, serves as his date at social functions. She maintains his calendar, serves as a spokesperson on a number of occasions. Like Orville is, it's hard to describe, but he's, he's kind of a space cadet, right? He's very, very smart, but he's not very socially adept and he can be forgetful. And so she just manages him. And they were always very, very close, but of course they become even closer as uh, they develop this sort of relationship. And then in 1926, at the age of 52, Catherine marries for the first time. She finally gets married and Orville does not go to the wedding. And in fact, he stops speaking to her. He's just so upset that she's getting married and he considers it leaving him. He thought that there was a sort of unspoken pact that the core group was never going to get married. So Wilbur never got married. He never got married. And he thought Catherine never would. And so, you know, he's very reliant on her and he views it as this betrayal. I don't know. It's very, very unfair towards her, but I guess you can understand a little bit why, right? Because he was so reliant on her. I think he was just very scared and that hurt him. So hers was a happy marriage, uh, but brief. She was only married for, you know, less than three years before she dies in 1929. Now, luckily, their older brother, Rooklyn, I think I'm pronouncing that right, convinced Orville to go see her on her deathbed. And you could tell that she was on her way out. And he says, come on, you got to go make this right. And so Orville goes and sees her and is by her side when she dies in 1929. But Catherine is very important to Wilbur and Orville and is obviously lesser known, rightly so, but she was a very important part of their lives. One thing that I think is interesting that I don't know if I brought it up in episode one. I don't think I did, but the brothers were well into their 20s before they had running water or plumbing in their house. Uh, there was no electricity when they were growing up. Meals were cooked on a wood stove. Heat and light were provided by natural gas. And even that was pretty new. And so uh, it's interesting to me to think about, again, this time period is so fascinating to me because I just don't know that technologically there's ever been a change in world history like there was between 1850 and 1950. And maybe you could point to something like the agricultural revolution thousands of years ago, but I can't imagine that that happened as quickly as this did. I mean, you think 1850... Um, gaslighting is not in most places even. So people are living like a life very similar to li what life was like a thousand or 2000 years before that transportation is horse powered. Lights are candles. Most people are farmers. There are industrial machines, but still most labor is done by hand. And then you fast forward a hundred years and you know, most Americans own automobiles. You have aviation, you have electricity in most homes in America. I mean, it's just incredible to think about that difference. To me, I mean, obviously the world is very different now than it was in 1950, but I don't think it's been as big of a change as it was in those 100 years. And so anyways, I don't know why, but that fact stood out to me that the people who invented the airplane grew up without indoor plumbing. I think that's symbolic of a lot. All right, here's a quote from the book that I found interesting. It says, quote, interestingly, for all the bishop's dedication to church work, religion was scarcely ever mentioned in his letters to his children or in what they wrote to him. No framed religious images or biblical quotations were part of the home decor, with the exception of a color print of St. Dorothy. And she was the patron saint of music. It was he, it was um, Bishop Wright, the, the father of the family, that gave Wilbur and Orville, the book, The Great Agnostic by Robert Ingersoll, which was what kind of convinced them to not be regular churchgoers. 
which is really interesting to me that you have this highly religious man who seems to encourage a certain amount of agnosticism in his children. And I do think, look, you see the same thing with Thomas Edison. It was like, in some ways, a sort of mild atheism, this little agnosticism sprung up as like the unofficial state religion of Northern wasps in the United States in the late 1800s. I just thought that's really interesting. Uh, you ask yourself then, why did this man dedicate his life to being a clergyman? And I don't know, but uh, he definitely didn't pass it on to his children. Okay. Another quote that I love, you know, the rights flight was the great passion of their lives, but they actually maintained some of their earlier passions, including for cycling. And so this is a good quote uh, about Orville. It says, as an admirer who knew him in later years would say, quote, bring up the subject of the shapes of handlebars or types of pedals or early safety bicycles and his whole face lights up. And so it's interesting that like people who have that sort of obsession had trouble breaking free of it. Another quote that I think is interesting about Wilbur, uh, well, actually it's a quote by Wilbur and it's talking about why he actually doesn't think that they should go into business full time. Here's what he says, quote, I do not think I am specially fitted for success in any commercial pursuit, even if I had proper personal and business influences to assist me. I might make a living, but I doubt whether I would ever do much more than this. Intellectual effort is a pleasure to me, and I think I would be better fitted for reasonable success in some of the professions than in business. And then he goes on to say that he doesn't have an aggressive enough attitude to be a success in business. He says, quote, there's nothing reprehensible in an aggressive disposition so long as it is not carried to excess, for such men make the world and its affairs move. I entirely agree that the boys of the Wright family are all lacking in determination and push. That is the very reason that none of us have been or will be more than ordinary businessmen. We have all done reasonably well, better in fact than the average man perhaps, but not one of us has as yet made particular use of the talent in which he excels other men. That is why our success has been only moderate. We ought not to have been businessmen. And some people consider that to be sort of just self-deprecating humility. And it is humility, but I actually think it's great self-awareness. Hey, this has been That Is It for the public version of the episode. If you want to listen to the full 35 minutes, go ahead and subscribe at takeoverpod.supercast.com. Otherwise, see you next week.